Welcome to episode number 12 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. In this episode, I answered a question about how to turn Google Docs into Google Forms, how the heck I rode 200 miles on my bike in one day, and shared some interesting updates from the world of EdTech. I hope you enjoy episode number 12. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Practical Ed Tech Podcast. I'm Richard Byrne. As I do every week, I'm going to answer some questions from readers and viewers and listeners like you. I'm going to share some news and notes from the week that was in Ed Tech and share a couple of thoughts on teaching computer science and teaching in general, which is what I do. So let's jump right into it with some news and notes from the world of EdTech from the last week. First up, Microsoft had a big event earlier this week and they unveiled a whole bunch of new hardware. To call it new hardware might be a bit of a stretch. Update to a lot of existing hardware, a whole bunch of new Surface tablets and Surface computers came out. Uh, I have to say that the new Surface tablet or the new Surface laptop looks pretty slick. Uh, a little pricey, but looks pretty slick uh, so I'm interested in that new pencil colors so that's kind of neat and Microsoft introduced an alternative to Apple's AirPods with their own wireless earbuds as well uh, speaking of Microsoft now that I'm in back in the computer science world on a full-time basis I'm doing a whole heck of a lot of troubleshooting with a lot of my students or I should say my students are doing a lot of troubleshooting and I'm kind of guiding them along uh, to that end, make use of, which is a fantastic website for all kinds of tutorials on all kinds of things, uh, published an update this week to their article about the infinite loop error that sometimes happens in Windows 10 and Windows 7, if you're still using Windows 7, uh, but the Windows 10 infinite loop boot error that you sometimes see make use of published a great little tutorial on how to fix that this week uh, one other little Microsoft note that I want to share with you FET uh, P-H-E-T uh, which is a phys physics simulator if you're watching the video of this you'll see it's on my screen uh, FET interactive simulations from the University of Colorado Boulder it's been around for years a decade or more uh, this week announced that you can now include their simulations inside of OneNote notebooks, including OneNote notebooks that you're sharing with students. So really cool update. It goes nicely with their already existing PowerPoint add-in that you could use for putting the FET simulations into your PowerPoint uh, presentations. And of course, you can still just go to FET phet.colorado.edu and access all the simulations right there in your web browser. So that's a neat little thing. Uh, another neat little thing that came out this week and the edu Twitter sphere kind of went crazy for it. I'm not sure why people went so crazy for it, but it seemed like every time I opened Twitter, someone was tweeting about it. Wakelet, which has become a really popular tool for uh, creating collections of bookmarks and files and whatnot really become popular in the last 18 months to 24 months. They introduced a new way to organize your collections. They call it a mood board. And if you're again, if you're watching the video of this and not listening to the podcast, you can see I'm about to 
uh, go in and edit the collection here and the mood board gives you the option instead of doing a compact or grid view you can now use mood board and mood board makes things look like you're on Pinterest yay yay for Pinterest like layout I don't know why people go so crazy for that but they do uh, personally I don't like that layout at all but hey everyone likes their own little thing okay. Another little thing that some people in the Twitter sphere went kind of crazy for this week. Uh, Google released a new VR experience for the Palace of Versailles. Unfortunately, it's only available in a select few expensive virtual reality viewers. Um, you know, you have to have an Oculus Rift or an HTC Vive or a Valve Index in order to access it. The rest of us are just stuck using the uh, option that's available in Google Expeditions if we want to go on a virtual tour of the Palace of Versailles. So, people are going crazy about it, but you know, that's how it is. Uh, I've talked a lot about search lately in particular. I've given a lot of shout outs to Dan Russell and his new book, The Joy of Search, which is fantastic by the way uh, I'm about halfway through it right now great book um, you know I got to read a preview of it earlier this summer and then now the, the finished product about halfway through the finished product and it's awesome uh, great search challenges on that note the Library of Congress this week opened up a new search challenge or search contest a who am I photo research contest it's not really a contest there's no prizes other than the pleasure of saying that you solved the mystery. If you're watching the video of this, you'll see that I have it on the screen here, and you'll see there are nine pictures that the Library of Congress wants help identifying the uh, pictures, uh, the people who are in the pictures, I should say. Uh, you know, they have posted that they've tried reverse image searches that didn't work, they have very little information but they're looking for help identifying the people in the pictures. They do say that it's part of the library's moving image section or moving image collection. So, you know, maybe that gives you a little clue. And there's some people who are weighing in on the comments already. There's 20 comments in there. There's some different ideas in there, but no one has really identified it quite yet from what I can see. So, nice little challenge. And the last little update I want to share, if you are enjoying this podcast, this week, Spotify introduced a new way to listen to this podcast or other podcasts or any of your favorite podcasts. You can now add podcasts to your Spotify playlist. So maybe you're listening to Nirvana and then all of a sudden you're listening to Richard Byrne ramble on about educational technology. What a great combination. Or you know, Metallica, or who knows what. Uh, and that's a good segue into my next little segment, which is what I learned slash was reminded of while teaching computer science this week. Number one, what I learned is that none of my students were familiar with the Smashing Pumpkins, who were a smash hit when I was in high school. Tells you something about me, about my age. None of my students recognized the name Smashing Pumpkins. They thought I was talking about something to do on Halloween, not music. Uh, 
that's not really the note that I wanted to share with you, though. That's just me freestyling, not going off my notes. Uh, so, some things that uh, struck me this week, working with my freshmen, sophomores, and my juniors and seniors. So, I've got kids from uh, all skill ranges and all backgrounds in my classroom. Uh, not all at the same time, different classes. Uh, basically, three different classes that I have. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that really struck me was that students, especially my freshmen, need a lot of context in order to make vocabulary meaningful. You know, to that end, Code.org's video about packets and TCP was a good example of providing context for some key vocabulary terms. And just this afternoon at about 12.30ish, I was talking to my sophomores, and I have some sophomores who are really well-versed in uh, hardware and assembling a computer but didn't know what some of the key terms actually meant. They just knew that the key terms existed, didn't know what they meant, didn't know why they needed to know these things, didn't know how the computer was actually working. They just knew that the pieces went together. They didn't know why they went together in the order they did. So uh, that was a good reminder, which also seg segues into my other little reminder. Of don't skip the little steps. Uh, like I said, with my sophomores, I'm doing a lot of troubleshooting of things. We did a that's pretty much all we did this week. We did a lot of troubleshooting of a lot of uh, a lot of computers that we have uh, from all ages. I have computers that are running Windows XP. We've got some that are running Windows 10 and everything in between in the classroom and some that are running vari variations on Linux, all kinds of stuff. Uh, in almost every case this week when a student got stuck, the solution was found by making them go back and follow the outlined protocol step by step and I had a couple of kids who um, like oh, I said are well versed uh, who want to fight me on going back and doing the little steps and every time I made them go back into the little the little beginner steps they call them beginner steps or they got the solution they found the solution they found that oh I overlooked a tiny little thing so those little steps have to be done correctly and Finally, one of the things that I've learned slash recognized now as a 40-year-old teacher that I didn't recognize when I was 25 and, or younger uh, is that many of my students, and again, I work in a school that is a, would be called, uh, classified as lower SES population for the most part. Uh, a lot of my kids come to school because it's it is the safe space, the reliable space in their in their lives. Uh, not because they're necessarily like excited about school, but because it's that's the safe place. Uh, and I knew that intellectually as a 25 year old, but as a 40 year old teacher, almost 41 years, I'll be 41 at the end of this month. Uh, I recognize that on a, on a deeper level now than I did 15, 16 years ago. Oh, and on a related note to that, my freshman got me to create a TikTok account. And they're all obsessed with me TikToking, and now I'm just TikToking with them when I have them. It's uh, basically twice a week when I have them. Uh, <laughs> twice a week I have freshmen, and I make a TikTok video with them. So if you're on TikTok and you want to see me doing a 40-year-old dad dance, come check out my TikTok account.
All right. Now let's move into some questions from readers, listeners, and viewers like you. So the first question came from Jeff, who asked me in response to my another video about Google Forms. I got a lot of questions actually about my about Google Forms this week. Uh, they're all along the same lines. Jeff said, asked me, is there a way to scramble the order of questions and answers in Google Forms? Yes, there is. Uh, and I made a video about it, because that's the easiest way to explain it. But in short, if you are going into Google Forms and you have your Google Forms quiz open, you can select the option to shuffle the questions and that's found in the upper right corner in your little settings menu that little gear icon you can go in and select your presentation option and shuffle question order the other option if you want to shuffle the sequence of answer choices you have to do that on a question by question basis go to the question next to the required button select the edit option the little uh, menu that's next to the required required button and select shuffle option order so that's how you do that uh, next question came from charlie and actually charlie sent this to me a week and a half two weeks ago so i'm a little late in getting back to you on this one charlie well i emailed charlie just didn't include it in a previous podcast uh, said, hey Richard, congratulations on your new computer science position. I'm curious about what is involved in your background in CS programming, CS slash programming. Is there some, this is something I've considered as well and wondered what you needed to do in order to get this position. So as I've shared in a couple of other episodes of the podcast, uh, this is a position, my computer science position is one that I was asked to do. So I was lucky. Uh, a friend of mine is the director of a tech school, and he needed somebody. Uh, he had a, had an instructor lined up. That instructor quit, and so he needed somebody kind of in a pinch, and I was his best choice, basically. Uh, now, as far as my certification for that, I'm lucky in that the state of Maine gives uh, vocational teachers or tech teachers. Uh, they don't call it vocational anymore. They call it uh, technology, CTE, uh, career and technology educator, CTE, career and technology educator. Uh, I'm lucky in that the state of Maine gives a lot of uh, credit for work experience in that regard. Uh, so that's how I was able to get my certification for it, uh, my conditional certification for it, because it's a new certification for me, so it's conditional. Uh, but you get a, got a lot of credit for work experience, and a lot of my work experience has been uh, with some smaller startups including one Adam Bello who I had on a, a couple weeks ago or a couple couple episodes ago uh, Adam Bello uh, was kind of part of that back when I was uh, an advisor for his first startup uh, you know so that's part that's part of it a lot of it is just having a lot of hands-on experience uh, so I was lucky in that regard that's how that's how that came to be and in full disclosure, there are some parts of the curriculum that we're going to get into where I'm going to be basically ahead, a day ahead of the kids. Uh, then there's other parts where I have, where my experience will put me light years ahead and give give kids uh, some experiences that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So, uh, 
Uh, computer science is such a broad field, and I'm coming into a program where I can, where I have a lot of flexibility in it for, for the most part. There are some things I have to teach, but for the most part, I have a lot of flexibility in it. So I'm kind of lucky that way, Charlie. Which leads me into the question I got from Steve earlier this week. Uh, hey, Richard, long time. Congrats on the new gig. What are you using for curriculum? I'd love to see if there's a way for us to connect our classes on a project. Uh, so short answer, Steve, uh, was that code.org is what I'm using for my freshmen. Uh, my sophomores are using Net Academy's IT Essentials. And then my third year students, which is a combination of juniors and seniors. I have uh, two juniors and one senior in the in that third year. Uh, we're kind of we're doing our own thing, not a standardized curriculum in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's project-based, and what we're trying to do right now is build a networked motorized wheelchair so that we can program it to navigate the school on its own. Uh, ton of moving parts with it, uh, literally and figuratively. We're just in the early, early stages of it, and I'm working with another teacher in the school uh, to kind of put that together. So... That's what we're doing, but yeah, I'd love to work with you on on any anything that you've you've got. So let's let's chat. I emailed back. Let's chat. So, uh, Steve, by the way, Steve is someone that I've met through Actum many years ago, the Association of Computer Technology Educators in Maine. Uh, we met through Actum way way back through the Wicked Decent Learning podcast, which was an awesome podcast. Actum and the Wicked Decent Learning podcast were fantastic things. Actum still exists. Wicked De Decent Learning podcast hasn't existed for years, but uh, yeah, so it's always good to reconnect with old friends who uh, pop up, you know, when things change. It's cool. All right. Anyway, uh, so a uh, question from Kim. Kim asked me a question last week and asked me another question this week. And I'm always happy to answer. So Kim asked me about screencasting. Uh, she writes, Hey Richard, another great post today. Again, appreciate all tips. Wondering if you can make a couple of screencast app suggestions. I have an instructional wiring project coming up. Again, thank you, Kim. So I'm gonna, I gave Kim the two suggestions I give to almost everybody, and that is Screencast-O-Matic, if you can install software on your computer, Screencast-O-Matic, I love it. Uh, there's a free version and a paid version. I use the paid version, cost me $18 a year. It's awesome. Uh, Screencast-O-Matic has tons of editing tools, uh, runs right on your desktop. I'm using it right now to make this video, in fact. Great. If you can't install software or you're looking for some, looking for a browser-based option, Screencastify is my go-to as well. Screencastify is great because it will automatically sync to your Google Drive. Works on a Chromebook. It's awesome. Screencastify will also let you share directly to Google Classroom. That's cool. Uh, question came from Kevin. Uh, Kevin runs a great consulting company, by the way. Uh, so check out Kevin Jarrett's uh, consulting company, Firewalk, Firewalker Consulting or Firewalker LLC. Uh, check out, Ke I've known Kevin for a long, long time. 
Kevin sent me a message a while back. Dude, 200 miles in one day. Seriously, that's not just amateur stuff. I'm curious what your training was like for that rock on, Kevin. Uh, so Kevin's referring to on my uh, EdTech Fitness blog, I wrote about the 200-mile bike ride that I did with Fast Freddy Rodriguez, a former uh, green jersey winner at the Tour de France, and all-around good guy who raises a lot of money to give bikes to uh, underprivileged children. Great little thing. And I actually wrote up a an article about it, my completely amateur guide to training for and completing a 200-mile bike ride. The short version of it is I started training for it in earnest in late March or early April uh, when it popped up on my radar and a friend of mine, uh, Angela Harvey, who's a co-owner of a bike shop, suggested it to me or tried to goad me into doing it and she was successful in doing that. Signed up for it, uh, started really training in earnest for it in late, late March, early April and I was uh, able to ride about 200 to 250 to 300 miles a week for the most part leading up to it and then the day that I did it uh, just went for it basically <laughs> uh, so it's just a whole lot of riding uh, nothing specific I didn't do any like specific interval trainings or anything like that just kind of rode my bike a whole lot uh, as far as diet I changed my diet for a, for a while but kind of changed my diet for a while uh, I cut out all beer and alcohol for the month of June leading up to doing the ride. So that's how that's how that came about. And shameless plug for my EdTech Fitness uh, website. If you're interested in fitness, education, or technology, check it out. And every week I send out a new little challenge for folks like us who are teaching and have busy lives but want to try to stay in shape too. So that's that. And... Uh, last question came in from Robbie just this afternoon, like right before I started to sit down to outline today's podcast, and that is, hey, did you once go over an app that turns docs into forms? I've had some teachers ask me about this, and I'm not sure if I saw it on your page or from somewhere else. Thanks, Robbie. So initially, I wrote back to Robbie and said, yeah, there used to be an add-on that did that, but it hasn't been around for a while. And then I thought more about it and emailed him back a little bit later. Uh, probably about 22 minutes ago, <laughs> actually, if I looked at the timestamp for it. And the tool that he was thinking of is Quillions, uh, Q-U-I-L-L-I-O-N-Z, Quillions. And I did, did make a video about it. It's on my YouTube channel. It's not specifically for turning Google Docs into forms. What it does is it lets you take any chunk of text that you have, paste it in, so it doesn't have to be Google Docs, it could be a Word doc, it could be a PDF, it could be a plain text file, whatever. Any chunk of text that you have, paste it in, and it will identify potential questions from that. Uh, that's what it does. So it doesn't turn a doc into a form it more just kind of suggests a whole bunch of questions you can use in Google Forms if you wanted to. All right. Now, last but not least, to wrap this up, uh, some fun little highlights for me, I guess. This week, the Richard Byrne YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, hit 16,000 subscribers. I'm not in Tom Ritchie territory or Keith Hughes territory, Hip Hughes his history territory by any stretch of the imagination. But 16,000 
subscribers is pretty cool, I think. Especially since my, vid my videos are mostly just me making screencasts. Uh, and I don't think they're terribly engaging. So that's pretty cool. Some people think they're engaging, obviously. Subscribing to them. So that's fun. Uh, you know, a couple other quick little things here. In August and September, I made, made slash hosted a series of live webinars covering uh, a bunch of different topics, including making animated videos, green screen videos. Did a webinar about search strategies. I love search strategies. So I made a there's a, a handful there, and then I also launched the G Suite for Educate, uh, G Suite for Teachers course, or Getting Going with G Suite course. Uh, all those things are now available on demand at FractalEdTech.com. Just check on, click on the on demand button, and you can check those out. And finally, last but not least, went over a thousand listens to the Practical EdTech podcast this week. Woohoo! Actually, we're over 1,100 as I look at. So I looked at it just before starting to record. I believe it's 1,128, I believe. I'm going from memory. Let's take a look. I'm looking at it right now. 1,136! 1,136 people have listened to this podcast. And there's uh, 106 subscribers. Woohoo! So if you are enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends about it. You can find the podcast at anchor.fm. Just search Practical Ed Tech Podcast, or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all your favorite podcasting platforms have it available, or just watch this on YouTube if you want. That's it. If you have any questions for me you want me to answer in next week's podcast, just send me an email, richard at burn.media, and I'll be more than happy to answer your question. Thanks, everyone. And have a fantastic weekend or week.